fight We don't have to kill Everybody in the whole wide world Really just needs to chill No, we don't have to fuss No, no, no We don't have to fight Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Just Chill with Oliver George. This is episode 90, and I am very stoked to have this guest in the studio. He is a hilarious comedian. He is a content creator who has an amazing perspective on life and a real positive vibe about him that I find absolutely infectious. But before we get into it, as usual, I want to remind you, if you're watching on YouTube right now and you would prefer an audio-only version of this podcast, you can get that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and other places like that. If you're listening to me on one of those platforms, though, and you didn't realize that there was a visual side to this thing, then I encourage you to please come check it out here on YouTube. If you come over to this side, I would appreciate it if you consider hitting that subscribe button. You don't have to, but I love connecting with new people and it really helps me out. So if you're just stopping in for the first time or you've been a longtime supporter, thank you so much. If you want to reach out to me, maybe with a cool guest idea or some general feedback about the show, you can do that on social media or send me an email at justchillpodcasting at gmail.com. If you decide to do that, let me know if you have interest in one of these Hall of Foil stickers with the show's logo on it, and I will send you one free of charge. Do it now because I'm down to, I think, a couple dozen, and we've got our 100th episode coming up pretty soon. We're aiming to have that at a live venue, and I'll probably end up giving the rest out. So now's your chance. Now, back to the guest or the man of the hour, as I often say. Uh, he has exploded onto the scene, and he is just burning it up on social media, rightfully so. His unique brand of non-verbal comedy and inspiring videos is just really, really captivating stuff. And I'm so happy to have him here. I'm talking about Mr. Aaron Belisle. Thank you so much for coming, man. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. Stoked to be chatting with you. Do you want to tell them how to spell my name? Uh, yeah, we were just talking about it. It is kind of a unique spelling. Uh, all your socials will come up on screen when you come up on screen. So don't worry about that. But yeah, it is a unique A-H-R-E-N. I've never seen that before. My parents hate me. <laughs> well, uh, I will point out at this point that, uh, you know, if you haven't realized already, Aaron uses a speaking device to communicate. So there are, you might notice, especially if you're watching this on YouTube, there are some edits that might seem a little rough. We're going to try and make it as smooth as possible. But at Aaron's behest, he wanted to cut out some of the pauses while he's typing and stuff. And I encouraged him to, you know, be off the cuff. I, I want to get into it here. So uh, just that as a bit of a disclaimer. And also, I am doing this a little differently. Normally, I kind of, you know, jump around between my notes, but this time I pre-sent some of them to Aaron. So you might find that I'm reading off of my notes a little more than I usually do, but it's because I want to be consistent with what I sent him. So uh, let's get into it, though. You've recently taken the comedy world and social media by storm with your killer nonverbal comedy performances and upbeat message. However, I've seen you make reference to previously being in a much darker place emotionally. I want to learn about your journey to where you are today, namely how you went from being disgruntled and depressed at the hand you were dealt in life to becoming this very funny beacon of contagious positivity that you are now. So where did you, to start off, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? The very funny beacon of positivity I am now is certainly not the phrase I'd use to describe myself. I tried to be grateful, lady, and positive, but you know, I'm still the same person I've always been. I've just done the work to learn different ways of thinking and different tools to improve my mindset. It's like I'm still in the same current I've always been in. I just learned to swim with it and enjoy the water. Wow, that's amazing. It's beautiful. And I mean, you, uh, we should note, it'll be up on the screen, but people should check out the Aaron Mindset page as well, because you've got one dedicated to comedy and one that's more for this kind of motivational, positive thinking stuff. But that's cool. That's it's. 
that you're acknowledging that, you know, you've done the work and I can only imagine there was a lot of work to be done. That's one thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, if you could describe some of the most significant challenges that you've had to overcome in pursuit of happiness and self-love and what were sort of the biggest roadblocks towards contentment and how have you overcome them managing to harness your gratitude in the way that you have? The most significant challenges I've overcome on my pursuit to self-love? Hmm. The first one was my resistance to getting help. I always said, I don't need therapy. I have real problems, real tangible problems that can't be fixed. I felt like I lived in the society and body that isolated me from others, and I was never seen as a man with needs, desires, dreams. I had real problems. I was really cynical about getting help. Like, how is talking to some lady about my feelings going to make my life any less quantifiably hard? It isn't, or so I thought. Clearly, I was wrong. And you As were, it turns oh. out, your perspective on life is what controls your entire experience. If you spend decades letting your brain run rampant, and you just believe every negative thought about life and yourself, you're going to have a bad time. And because of my experiences and traumas, I was bitter and angry and needy so I behaved in toxic ways. And if your goal in life is to have meaningful connections with people, being a negative toxic person isn't the way to do that. Yeah, no, definitely. And honestly, I've since following you, I've found myself thinking about your videos quite often because I think I am someone that will let negative thinking run rampant in my life. And I kind of turned, tried to turn a corner and think about what you, your message that you send out. Because honestly, sometimes I, I go, look at this stupid thing I'm getting upset about. It's so trivial. And so many people are dealing with so much more shit and still have a better attitude than I do. So it's like, you know, I feel like I've got work to do as well. I think everyone does. Well, you can't really shame yourself into being more positive. There's always someone worse off, including me. I mean, like worse off than me. Yeah. Yeah. You can always keep it going down the line. I see what you're saying. This is sort of like tying into the question that my dad had come up with. I don't know if you want to feel that now. Yeah, sure. Um, so Aaron, I saw you that you had referred to yourself. I think you said you'd once been a very toxic personality or very toxic person. And obviously you're far from that now. You're very positive, et cetera. So the question I had for you was to get from toxic to positive, was that just that slow grind of therapy and, and life experience and all that? Or was there sort of a singular moment, an aha moment where one day you kind of woke up and said, you know, Christ, I can't keep going like this. You know, I mean, uh, was it or was it neither of those? Yes and no. I kind of got sick of my attitude and losing friends and being miserable. And I remember in 2017, I lost some really close friends and I'm like, fuck, I can't keep doing this. And in 2018, I got a new job with really excellent therapy coverage. Mm. And I'm like, I'm sick of being angry all the time. And it's free now, so I might as well give it a try. <laughs> that's a good answer. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, actually, that segues into what I wanted to ask you, which is um, I read that you are in the IT industry. You're an engineer. So I just wanted to know how you got into that line of work and what sort of appealed to you about that line of work and what you do specifically in the field. I am an engineer with a lowercase e, so I have a degree in information technology, not engineering, but I work jobs that call me that. I work basically as a senior cloud engineer. And no, that doesn't mean I make your iPhone storage. Basically, the old way of doing things was you'd spend millions of dollars building a data center, filling it with HVAC, fire suppression, racks of servers, all of that, 
and you'd have to try to forecast all your needs and try not to under or overshoot it. Now, it's a lot easier. You can basically just rent your computer needs from Amazon, Google, or Microsoft. Mm. You can build your apps, your servers, your services, everything on the cloud, and I do that. Essentially, I help manage a pipeline that deploys everything my company needs in the cloud using code. Cool. My dad was in sort of the computer industry when pre-retirement. He worked at Nortel Communications and all that before they went under <laughs> like a dumpster fire. I'm, I'm guessing I you're got from... into it because oh. I like to play video games. I learned to code young and I had no better ideas. Everybody, including the career test, said to get into computers, so I did. I liked computers and I like solving problems. Sorry, that happens all the time. It's so hard to interject and not interrupt with my phone. Hey, that's okay, man. I cut people off all the time and I'm not even dealing with that. So, yeah, I can relate. So I do want to talk about the automation. That was sort of my next question, too, because I don't know your exact age, but I have to imagine that when you were younger, you probably didn't have access to at least not this degree of quality in this type of a device. So I wanted to know how did you communicate previously before that was available to you? And when you did get this type of a thing, was it a real game changer in your life? The first text to speech device was called a Dinovox. And it was this big, like 10 pounds. And it just had pictures and stuff and talk like Stephen Hawking. I never used it. Growing up, I just used sign language. I don't remember a lot of growing up, but I'd say if anything, life was easier because I had an interpreter for one. And for two, the school and interpreter taught my classmates sign so. Oh, they taught you like, they taught them ASL and stuff or? Okay, cool. I've been learning some of that too. Interesting. But after like age 14, nobody knows sign. So I kind of forgot it. And this is kind of just what I do now. I probably got my first phone in my teens and started texting to communicate, and now here we are. But it's nice to have a voice, and it definitely has utility for comedy and work and stuff. You got to make sure you plug in your phone before bed more than the next guy, though. Because <laughs> if your battery dies, then that's a snafu. That happened at a show once. Oh, really? Shit. How did you get out of that situation? Or you just kind of said, I got to go? <laughs> yeah, shit. I got to imagine, too, when you were growing up, I was thinking about this, that uh, you must have had annoying moments, too, where people are griping about shit that you have it so much worse. Like, you know, your friend's like, oh, man, I got to do public speaking. I hate public speaking. And you're like, fuck you, guy. Because kids can be really blunt, especially, you know, and, and not sensitive to, to issues like that. I was thinking, too, as I watch him work his device and see how fluid he is with it, the one thing I keep thinking is, is man, take care of your thumb. <laughs> yeah that's one of the things i needed to overcome i was really judgmental of people like oh you don't have real problems why are you bitching but it's not fair everyone has problems and it's still valid like your baseline is different from mine but that doesn't mean you don't have real problems yeah that's very empathetic of you and did you deal with like bullying and stuff a lot i wasn't bullied a whole lot it happened i'm disabled but my problem was more like I wasn't treated like a real boy, and I didn't have the opportunity to like do all the same human things as everyone else. It was less like fuck you retard, and more like haha ha, look at him. Mm, shit, that's still brutal though. Damn, I can only imagine. I'm sorry you had to go through that even. Bullying never really bothered me. It was just like the segregation. Bullying half the time made me laugh because they would be really stupid and I'm like lol. <laughs> Oh, LOL. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, who's LOL? 
A kid once told me I only got good grades because I'm a retard. And I'm like, I don't think you understand what you're saying, buddy. <laughs> but he was trying to say you got preferential treatment or some shit. Yeah, but that's, that's hilarious. Uh, I wanted to ask, I, I actually saw a video of yours last night that sort of answered the question, but... I remember when the GPS machines first came out in people's cars, they could set it to Ozzy Osbourne or Homer Simpson and have Homer saying dough when you missed a turn or something like that. So I did see a video of you having a bit of a face off with another nonverbal social media star and you used like a Darth Vader voice. So um, do you ever fuck around with that kind of thing? I would be so tempted to just be like Samuel. Jackson. No, actually, I have used a female voice for most of my life. The male voices were never any good. It wasn't until literally 2022 that I started using this voice because I figured out I could have an iPhone accessibility button read the text in Siri's voice. And you have to admit, the Siri mail is pretty damn good. Yeah. No, it sounds smooth for sure. Well, do you, uh, I guess I'll still ask you the other half of that question though. Like if you think there's someone in Hollywood who has like a totally badass voice that you would put maybe on your phone if you could once in a while. Morgan Freeman. Yeah, that's a good choice. I was thinking Samuel L. Jackson, but he swears a little too much. <laughs> He's got to be motherfucker every third word. Why can't I say motherfucker every third word motherfucker? <laughs> you can. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Might offend a couple people, but I'm down for it. Um, have you ever found that the need to write things out in order to communicate can actually be an advantage at times, giving you an opportunity to reassess your thoughts and give your words the once over, avoiding situations where us verbal folks might have ended up putting our foot in our mouths or saying something that we deeply regret? Does any particular scenario come to mind where that delay in communication actually helped you dodge a bullet? You think, but I've always been eager to say whatever the fuck I want with little <laughs> regard to consequences. I'm still like eager to say what I want, but yes, I do have more time to consider and bite my thumb. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Because when people sort of uh, send a text, you know, they might read it over once or twice and make sure they're not saying anything stupid. But, but I like that you have the same general energy as me of just kind of throw it out there and see what sticks. Is that the dog? <laughs> was he farting? I or usually drunk? just say what I want, but it does help at work. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Cool. He's uh, grumbling. He's hungry or something. It sounds like a creaky door or floorboard. I don't think the mic's picking it up, but this dog is making some noises. He probably wants to play with your dogs. Yeah, we got to let them have a little meet up after this is over. We got to at least let them sniff each other's butts for a couple seconds. I was at a show at Yuck Yucks and this lady is like, can I pet your dog? Can I pet your dog? Yelling at me. Can I pet your dog? And wouldn't stop fucking yelling even when I said I'm not deaf seven times and answered. So I'm like, all right, lady, if you want to pet my dog, get down on all fours and smell his ass. <laughs> yeah, you must get that a lot. I, even I asked you when I met you a couple months ago. It was like my first question after introducing myself. I just love dogs. It's so hard not to, but I know you're not supposed to with service dogs. You're not supposed to yell at disabled people was my point. <laughs> Fair. Okay. I kind of glossed over that, yeah. But yeah, you're not supposed to pet service dogs because they're still just dogs and they're easily distracted. Mm. If you were blind trying to cross the street, how would you like being yanked back because someone needs to pet your dog? Yeah, <laughs> that's a valid point. Yeah, it could get dangerous, honestly. Um... So on the same vein as the last question, I was going to ask you if there was ever a time where, I'm sure there's many of them, but one that's particularly funny to you where something you typed was a typo and created a comical situation. 
I was at Subway once, and I ordered a sub, and she's like, what kind of bread do you want? And I look at her plainly and say one word that I didn't look at my phone to verify. Whore. <laughs> I'm guessing it was whole wheat or something. White. Oh, white. Okay, yeah, that's, yeah. That makes sense, too. Starts with a W, five letters long, yeah. Damn autocorrect. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> How did she react? <laughs> Throw the sub in your face? I guess not. That would be over the top. But horror is <laughs> pretty strong. She made a face. Yeah, rightfully so, yeah. In our society, often people get overzealous about trying to right perceived wrongs, generally with noble intentions, but often without fully thinking things through. I was wondering if you could give me an example of a time that somebody got offended on your behalf, maybe even a complete stranger that kind of annoyed you or, or rubbed you the wrong way. I know a lot of the time people will say things like, oh, you can't use the word handicap anymore. You have to use disabled. And I'm like, it's just a fucking word, bro. Yeah, I think this happens a lot with many subjects, not just disabilities, but racial stuff and sexual orientation and stuff. People are just so ready to be a Karen about something and kind of uh, nothing against Karens. But, you know, there are some nice Karens out there. But the term is synonymous now with people who kind of stick their nose in other people's business. And I think that happens across the board. And sometimes people can just be outright wrong too. It's like, one staff will be like, oh, it's this way down the stairs, or you can go that way. And another will be like, hey, he's disabled. He needs the ramp. Go that way. And it's like, no, I would rather take the fucking stairs. It's less walking. <laughs> yeah, I think people's hearts are in the right place all the time, but they don't really think things through. Yeah, I can get how that would be freaking annoying. And some people get caught up on terminology. Like when we had Michael on here, he was talking about person with a disability versus disabled person. And some people are really... And you want to know the full proof solution. Sure. Ask. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm happy to have you on here. I love like if there's something uh, perspective I don't understand, I want to learn more about it from the source, you know, as opposed to just coming to your own conclusions and hypothesizing about everything. And I don't mind questions. I love when people ask. It's better to ask than be uncomfortable with disability or be wrong. There's absolutely nothing wrong with asking a question. Assumptions are where you have a problem. Yeah, 100%. And again, I think that applies to so many things, right? If you're afraid of trans people or something, go make a, a trans friend and then you probably won't be afraid anymore, you know, or it won't make you feel uncomfortable in that way, you know? Yeah, that's great advice. I think people are just afraid to be vulnerable and that's makes people feel vulnerable to put themselves in that position sometimes that they're going to make an ass of themselves or they're going to offend someone or people don't know how to act. So they just avoid it. I would take like if someone just asked the question and we move on. Yeah. Well, that sort of ties into the next question, which is just what are the most irritating questions that you frequently receive in regards to your disability? The ones that really grind your gears. Again, I'm sure there's a thousand of them, but I have a bad memory. But generally, it's questions asked in bad spirit. It's not because you are curious to know more. It's because either you're an asshole or you can't mind your business. Like mm. the guy who asked how I masturbate. Made a bit out of that one. <laughs> That's a great bit, actually. I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but that shit's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, you did that at Yucks on the night that I met you back in November. You were on the horrible show. And I remember even that night, Chris Boris, who works the bar often, and he's also a, a comedian himself, he came up to me and said, oh, have you heard this Aaron Belisle guy? 
he's he said you're going to be on America's Got Talent or something. And I got to say, I mean, I saw you that night and I was blown away. Can't do that joke on America's Got Talent. <laughs> probably not. Yeah. I mean, if anyone could get away with it, it'd be you. But yeah, probably not. That's a great bit. And people will be like, just stupid about it. Like, what's rude with you? Hmm. What's wrong with you? Yeah, <laughs> he put a bunch of O's, so it said room. But uh, there's one of those typos we're talking about. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, because people—that's uh, sort of why I brought up kids originally. But grownups can be like that too, where they just have no filter and really <laughs> insensitive. Yeah. My son, we brought—he saw a, a little person one time when we were out somewhere, and he kind of couldn't help it. Kids are just curious, though. Yeah. Exactly. It wasn't malicious or anything like that. Yeah. When I was a kid, we were in line at Tim Hortons, and my brother is like, why is this guy black? <laughs> Fair. <laughs> yeah. But that's a valid question if you're a kid and you haven't seen a lot of black people. I'm from North Bay. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> Not too many uh, black folks around there, I'm guessing. I've, I haven't been there personally, but uh, I lived in Sudbury for a while, and it was pretty similar. <laughs> um. Well, I do want to uh, kind of bring attention to the pup that's currently lying at my feet because, uh, you know, I love animals. And uh, yeah, I wanted to know his name, actually, because I never actually got his. Or is it a girl? Whoever said dogs are loyal are lying idiots. <laughs> He's cuddling up to me pretty good right now. Yeah, I guess that means I got a good vibe, too. Oh, as I say that, he leaves. <laughs> He's like, I don't like you that much. There you are. You're adorable. His name is Al Harrington of Al Harrington's Wacky Inflatable Arm Flailing Tube Man Imperium and Warehouse. Family Guy reference. Nice. Is his name actually Al though or no? Oh, it is. Okay, cool. And he's a boy then. Yeah. Um, well, our mascot is, is my older dog. So I'm a big animal lover, but this is actually the first time we've had a pooch sit in on a podcast. So welcome to Al. And uh, I hope he has a good time while he's here. This is my first time on a podcast too. Oh, right on, man. Well, I'm glad I could uh, pop the cherry. <laughs> That's <laughs> a little gross, I guess, the way of saying it. But yeah, I'm glad to have you here, man. This is a really cool experience already. And uh, I think you're freaking hilarious and super nice, dude. Um, in, in regards to the dog, have you always had a service animal or is it a very new development in your life? He's my first. I've had him three years. I actually applied in college and it took like forever. Then I declined the first one because I'm like, oh, I like to travel. I don't want to ruin my life or something absolutely stupid as fuck like that. Mm. Then I declined the second one, too. Third time, they're like, all right, bud, there's a million people waiting. It's now or never. And I'm guessing you're glad you you took him on as a, a buddy, partner, whatever you call it, I guess. <laughs> well, because he needs you too, you know? Dogs need their owners just the same. Absolutely. Declining them was so stupid. I can't regret it because my life is right right now, but he's great. And he never limited me in any way. Yeah, he seems amazing. Well, if I can, I'd like to ask a few questions just about service dogs in general. Hopefully you can speak to some of them. Uh, I wanted to know if there's specific breeds that are most ideal or suited for the job. I see a lot of Goldens, but I'm wondering if there's any others as well. He was being weird outside and he didn't shit and now has whining. Can we break and let him out? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. We're back. The dog had to take a furious dump outside. My dad took a leak. Everybody's good to go. So back into uh, service animal questions, if you'll humor me on this. A big, huge shit. <laughs> it was huge. 
<laughs> but luckily it's super deep snow and it's going to be covered by the time we're done this. So we'll find it in the spring. Um, are there, or I was just asking you if there's specific breeds of dogs other than goldens that you've ever seen used as service animals. They usually use goldens and labs breeds that are food driven and eager to please just because like they love food. So to train them, all you have to do is like, Hey, here's some food. Other <laughs> breeds are more stubborn or whatever. Yeah, I've got one of those stubborn breeds upstairs. <laughs> they use poodles for people with allergies, and they're so much harder to train because they're more stubborn, and they're more driven by affection than food, so it's harder. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about hypoallergenic and, and that whole side of things. Makes sense, though. Um, I kind of wanted to ask also, do you know how long it takes to train them and sort of what is the process to matching them to an owner? Because obviously different people have different needs and certain dogs may be better at different services. Yes. Yeah, so with the Lions Club, what they do is they foster them out to approve families for the first year and they do basic obedience. And then they go live at the school for six months training every day. Mm. So the families they're with for the first year are probably families that have done this many times that are accustomed to that. Okay. Interesting. Hmm. And uh, specifically, what services does Al do for you uh, in your day to day life? What does he help you with the most? He came with a bunch of skills, pull, push, fetch, brace, bark, like he can pull a fridge door open and fetch me a drink, or he can push a handicap door button, or he can fetch my brace. That's awesome. I saw him stealing a beer as we were talking about before, but he gets the remote for you and stuff like that too. So pretty much anything you need, it sounds like. Sweet. That's so cool. And, and do you know what happens when they get too old to do it anymore? Like, would they then go back to one of those foster home type situations or because the person needing the dog would obviously need a new dog at that point if they can't do the job anymore. I was just curious. Usually they go to the client's family. They try to keep it close, but if not, they adopt them out, but that's not going to happen here. He's my dog. I am not giving him back. They can pry him from my cold dead hand. <laughs> well, that's real love if I've ever heard it. That's awesome, bud. Um, well, I did want to pivot to your comedy career a little bit, but I know on during the break, you were saying that there were, you alluded that there was maybe some more mental health stuff that you wanted to touch on. So I wanted to give you an opportunity for that. If there's anything you wanted to get into before we move on to your comedy stuff. I had to do a lot of self-love work. I had a really negative view of myself and the world, and I had to practice. I had to go to therapy and learn to affirm to myself that I'm a good person, a worthy person and a lovable person. With all the shame from my childhood coupled with the disability and my self-destructive toxic behavior, I really didn't love myself at all. And I needed to learn to recognize my own merits and be like, hey, look at you grow. Look at you being a great friend. Look at you caring about others, forgiving myself for things that were outside of my control and just finding the true affirmations I was yearning for and giving it to myself. Wow, that's spectacular. It must not have been an easy thing to do either. It must have been a long, arduous journey. And there are plenty of other tools I had to use too. Gratitude logs. Practicing gratitude is scientifically linked to better ways of thinking. Journaling and working through emotions. Learning to be in the present moment. Challenging negative thoughts and recognizing that they aren't fact. I'm the dude listening to my thoughts. I'm not the thought itself. Hmm. Yeah, no, I have OCD as well. And uh, I got some help from watching videos about how you can't identify so much with your negative thoughts and you know that whole trope about what viewing them as like passing cars on a highway 
and sort of just letting them go. And then the next one comes or clouds in the sky or whatever. It's, you know, being in the present moment, as you were saying, not attaching yourself to one thought and, and letting it claim your identity. The brain is basically just a thought machine. Its job is to think about risks and how to mitigate them the same way any other organ has a job. It doesn't make the shit true. It's very accurate. But I don't think a lot and of people- And we are getting pretty fucking hippity-dippity here. Like, <laughs> I'm not a monk. I'm not religious. I'm not a naked hippie dancing in the forest, comma. These are just supported and effective tools that help you to train new ways of thinking and more positive ways of thinking. It is a biological change too, like you're rewiring your brain. Mindset is a muscle, not something you just have. If I stop working at it, I fall into old patterns too. We are mm. building new ways of thinking and it's hard and it takes work. Hmm. So you approach it very practically. That was so preachy. I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's just cause I use a fucking phone. Hey, no sweat, man. I'm loving your answers. Honestly, this has been really illuminating. Um, well, it, with your permission, then I would like to, to switch it up and get into your blooming comedy career. No. <laughs> All right. It's my podcast now, motherfucker. <laughs> He's usurping the podcast. Okay. I don't know if I can allow that, but. Go ahead. Okay, cool. Um, well, as I understand it, you're still pretty new to comedy under two years, I want to say. I started in Portugal last winter and just started taking it seriously in August. Wow. That's insane, because you really wouldn't know it watching you perform. You seem like a seasoned veteran. And I was telling you before, I'm really not blowing smoke up your ass, but I do think you're going to be on like the Tonight Show or something in the near future. So everyone should be looking out because I think you're on, on the rise here. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, you have such a, like I said at the beginning, such a unique perspective and such a positive attitude. And I know you're saying you waver in that attitude sometimes, but at least what you're putting out on your social media and it's very inspiring stuff and you're hilarious. So, you know, what else do you need? I think, I think you got what it takes, man. Um, so in that respect though, was comedy something that you had contemplated doing for a long time or was it sort of just on a whim that you were like, fuck it, let's try it. And kind of just rolled with it from there. Portugal, that's interesting. If you can sort of elaborate on that a little bit. I never really seriously considered it. I was depressed one night, and I did write like two pages of jokes just to cheer myself up, and never did anything. And I went to Portugal much later, and I went to a charity comedy show, and I talked to all the comics later, and they are all like, you're fucking hilarious, you should come back and do it. And I'm like... And now can you imagine your life without comedy, or is it something that you think like... You're going to take it to the grave now. I'll take it to the grave. My original thinking was like, oh, I don't want to do this as a career. It's just fun. And I thought it would like help me do the mental health stuff like funnel people in and make it more funny. But nah, I'm a comedian now. Fucking A. <laughs> right on. That's kind of what I was hoping you would say. I'm seriously a comedian now. I used to be like, oh, I'm an amateur. But now I'm working every weekend. I've worked with Canadian legends. It's crazy, man. Yeah, hell yeah. That's actually one of my questions coming up, but I'll go to that right now. I saw that you recently opened for Tom Green, and I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more of that experience and how it felt. Yeah, it was wild. It's like, it's hard to think of yourself as, I am a comedian. Like, who am I? I started this in August. But yeah, I opened for him all weekend and got invited to go to Toronto and do it again and did that. And he thought I was funny, which is wild, man. It was great. He is a really good guy. He goes everywhere with his dog, Charlie, and he has such a patience with his dog like never gets at all irritated. And when you see a man who treats a dog like that, you know it's a good man. 
It was、mm. a wild experience. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, he, I saw him posting about performing with you as well. You were on his page, and he was super generous with the publicity too.、Mm. Yeah, and what you said about animals liking people—I think that's really a metric that you can measure someone by. That's a lot of women will be like, "Oh, does my dog like him?" Okay, I'll go on a date with him. You hear that a lot in movies and stuff. But I think there's a real truth to that. Animals have sort of a sixth sense about people. He was just so patient with his dog. When my dog doesn't listen, I will like raise my voice and get more assertive. But he never like was anything other than super patient, and that's what I'm always gonna remember. It's something to strive for because I find the same thing with my dog. You know, it's hard not to lose your shit sometimes when they're my dog. Will, if we run into another dog on a walk, we'll do the little dance. But then as soon as I want to keep walking, sometimes she'll jump up on me and kind of say, "No, no, let's go back." And you feel kind of embarrassed, like you don't have control over your animal, and it's yeah, it's easy to lose your temper. As、uh, something of note, for sure. Well, I really wanted to bring up and ask you about the fact that you'll really impressively riff on stage and do crowd work and stuff like that. And obviously, the audience will have to sort of wait in anticipation while you're typing something out.、Uh, was this something that took you like a while to get comfortable doing? Because many verbal comics can lob out a, a quick pun or joke, and if it doesn't really land, they can kind of gloss over it quickly. But for you, do you feel like you're kind of doubling down when you go for a moment like that? And I just want to know what's your process for navigating the intricacies of riffing as a mute comic. Yeah, I mean, the first joke I ever told was an ad lib. All the other comics were talking about their small dicks, and I got up, and I'm like, I thought I came to do comedy, but apparently I walked into a short dick support group. <laughs>、oh, that's awesome. At the start, what I would do is I would watch the show, and I would prepare like. Quote unquote, as libs, and I would do those, and I would try to keep typing to a minimum because of the silence or whatever. But now, like I don't give a shit, I'll stop a show to type if it's funny. It just builds tension, and tension is good for comedy. And also, I laugh at my own jokes while I type them, and people enjoy that anyway. Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. When I saw you perform, I found it really endearing, and it just pulls you in even more. Seeing how excited you're getting about it, it's like you're like, oh, I want to hear it now. Look how much fun he's having just typing it, you know. Yeah, it's a very, very cool experience to watch you perform. Switching to social media, I did want to talk about that because you have a whopping presence on social media. You're really blowing up, and Instagram alone, you've got well over a hundred thousand followers. But I know recently the big wigs at Instagram di- temporarily disabled your account. No pun intended. I wrote there, but thankfully you've got it all back up and running. But did you ever find out what that was all about? And have you ever had like similar issues on other platforms? Yeah, that pisses me off. I was growing fifteen thousand a day, and I got banned, and it absolutely destroyed my growth. Like I haven't grown at all since. They didn't give a reason. I probably looked like a bot because I used a VPN on my phone. Oh, your social media has a lot of comedy, but you also post a lot of affirmations and self-help content, like we were talking about. And you've spoken already about how you've learned so much and grown. But why is it so important for you to share that knowledge and help enlighten other people on a path to a brighter existence? And I wanted to know if you could tell me about a, an experience where somebody reached out to you because of your content. Uh, you know, letting you know that you had brought them out of a state of melancholy or bitterness. Yeah, I've gotten a lot of comments and messages like, "Oh, this is what I needed today," or "Thank you so much for teaching me this," stuff like that. And that's why I post the mental health stuff. I do that just to help one person, and I do comedy for the thousands, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, that totally makes sense. I mean, you never know; one of your videos could save somebody's life, right? That's a huge fucking deal. 
And that can happen with musicians and, and a lot of art forms that you can really touch somebody in the right way at the right time and really be a turning point. And I do it to help me to write, to remind myself of my own lessons that I often ignore. And selfishly, I also want my world to be a more compassionate and healthy place. It's not like I'm a martyr. I just want to help people and help myself. I don't think there's anything selfish about that. I think that's selfless, if anything. That's amazing. Well, my last comedy question for you is, uh, I know when we were texting today, you were telling me there's some pretty exciting stuff that you're going to be doing that we can't really talk about yet. But uh, sort of in the grander scheme, I wanted to know what people can expect from you in 2023, maybe a tour or a, a, aiming to maybe record an album. I don't know. Did you have anything goal-wise that you're setting out for? I'm so new to comedy that it's really hard. My raw talent is carrying me, but I don't have all the industry contacts that someone as big as me that put in the work for longer would have. And I don't have the 45 minutes or whatever to headline, but hopefully big things will happen. I am talking to the Halifax Comedy Festival for April, and I am planning to join my buddy Mike on his US tour in the fall. I think big things are going to happen, but I don't know exactly what they are yet. That's great. That's what I was thinking. I, I can't think of any world where you're not going to keep killing it at this. And I mean, I wish you all the best. And I don't even think you need my good wishes, but uh, I, I'm eager to see more of where this is going to take you. I'm eager too. thank you for the good wishes, man. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for coming on. Uh, we like to round things out here, usually with some fun, random questions. So I'm going to throw a couple of those your way. Uh, we recently seven. Seven what? Seven questions? <laughs> I got four. The answer is seven. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll see about that. Uh, my dad and I, my kids, everybody, we just got back from a, a trip to the Dominican a little less than a week ago. And it was my kids' first time ever going on a plane. Uh, and we left on Friday the 13th and flew over the Bermuda Triangle to get there. And that got me thinking, I wanted to ask you if there was any superstitions that you hold or just irrational rituals maybe that you adhere to. You really don't care about your family that much, eh? <laughs> it was the only time that worked with our schedules at work. Yeah, I know. I, we thought about, should I open an umbrella on the plane? Just kind of, maybe they'll cancel each other out if I keep doing stuff like that. Bring a black cat with me. I knock on wood. That, that counts, yeah. That's a minor one, but that counts. And if there's no what I knock on the other thing. <laughs> well, I just learned a little more about you. I guess you're not part of that small dick support group then. <laughs> I'm part of the average size dick support group. <laughs> I think most of us are. Yeah, most of us were part of that group. Um, well, speaking of traveling to warmer places, I remember even when I first met you, you were talking about how you like to get the fuck out of the winter whenever possible. Are those killing you? Yeah, they get a little bit annoying after a while. Um, but I was wondering if you had a, a specific paradise that you like to frequent and if you ever see yourself permanently relocating to a warmer climate or would you miss Canada too much? <laughs> Shaking his head already. Well, I'd be interested to know, like you've traveled a lot. What's sort of your favorite vacation spot? This is actually my first winter in Canada in like six years. I hate it here. I will not be staying. As soon as I can go to America to do comedy, I'll be gone. I would say that'll be pretty damn soon. 
You got to get a green card and all that shit, I suppose. I love Costa Rica, though. There's so much to do there. Oh, speaking of Tom Green, I think he has a place down there, yeah. There's a volcano, a cloud forest, so many great beaches, just such a dynamic place. You could be there a year and still have stuff to do. I don't think I'll ever move to an island permanently now because I can't work there and do comedy, but mm. I do love Costa Rica. <laughs> well, now uh, I know where my next trip's going to have to be. Um, okay, well, another fun question. I noticed in some of your videos that you've got some pretty sweet ink, and obviously you don't have to disrobe or anything. I, you're pretty covered up right now, but I am curious how many tattoos you have, what they're of, and sort of what they represent to you, and if you have plans to get more in the future. Are you going to be like a full-sleeve guy and a guy, or...? This podcast is now called Magic Aaron. <laughs> it's the Magic Mike noise. Have you seen my magic dick joke? No, I don't think so. It's on my socials. It's funny. I'll tell you right now. Sure. Fuck it. Yeah, yeah. Dude, lay it on me. The hardest thing about being mute is that people think I'm a good listener because I can't tell them to shut the fuck up. <laughs> I once met a girl who asked me this exact question. So like the left half of your body is all messed up. Does that mean, like, you have a half-working penis? Does it do stuff? <laughs> what do I say to that? Fuck yeah, of course it does stuff. Yeah, it does magic tricks. It's also been employee of the month at Starbucks two months running. <laughs> I would show you some magic, but this is not that kind of show. <laughs> Unless you all want? What was the question? I forget. Oh, just about the tattoos. How many you have and uh, <laughs> we got a little off track. What are your most significant ones and, and what? why did you get them? That sort of thing. And if you have plans for more. I have a wolf and a dragon on my arm. I have like a tropical ocean and a beach and a sunset and a palm tree on the front of my leg. I have a bowling ball with my grandpa's name and dates of birth and death on my calf. Cool. A lot of nature stuff. That's awesome. The wolf and dragon don't mean anything. The tropical scene is because I hate the cold and like the topics. Tropics. Yeah. That one I got. <laughs> I actually want a full sleeve on this arm, like a really super high quality biomechanical sleeve, but oh, cool. I want it to be broken, like malfunctioning and leaky and full of <laughs> nuclear waste and stuff. <laughs> Sparks and shit. Yeah, that's awesome. I know the perfect guy, but he would charge like $10,000. Oh shit. You gotta save up for that one. <laughs> if you're asking me for money, I ain't got it. <laughs> shit yeah you gotta try well man we've reached pretty much the end here uh, I got one final question for you every season I have sort of one question that I ask all the guests that season and for season four it's what is the shittiest job you've ever had and why did it suck so bad all my jobs have been good in high school I did co-op at a university that was fine then I did tech at community living that was fine then IBM was okay then TD was great then I worked at the Star, and that was fun until it got bought out, and the new owners decided to drive it into the ground. 
I'm going to say the star. Still sounds like you've had a pretty good run. If, if only we could all be that lucky. But like the last half of it. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it started off okay. Right on. Well, hey, man, that's uh, definitely not the answer I was expecting, but I'm glad that you didn't have to deal with any bullshit jobs. Do you want me to make one up? <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> I have it. My shittiest job was life. Being disabled listening to idiots every day. <laughs> that's fair. I hope I'm not one of those idiots. No, you're cool. Thanks, dude. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come chill with me. This was a total blast. And thanks for sharing your story and your comedy with my audience. And I hope to do it again sometime. We always high five at the end. And I know you expressed interest in... <laughs> I know you expressed interest in uh, playing the arcade, but now I'm a little worried you're going to kick my ass based on your childhood uh, dominance at video games. That's not P's one. Oh, it's not PS1. Yeah, fair. <laughs> well, if you want to try it, we'll give it a go. And thank you to everyone for watching. Have a good one.